The story for this morning, which is a portion of one of the creation accounts from Genesis, begins this way. God puts the man into the garden and says two things to him, yes and no. That is, in regard to some things in the garden, he tells the man, yes. And in regard to other things, he tells the man, no. Yes, you're here to till and keep the garden, to work in it and care for it. Yes, you can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Yes, this is paradise, isn't it? But no, there is one tree that is off limits. No, you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, you must not touch it either. The story skips ahead then in the lectionary selection, and in the next scene, there is now not just the man, but there is the woman also in the garden, and there is the serpent that shows up, described in the scripture story as, quote, more crafty than any other wild animal. And the serpent and the woman have a conversation, and the yes and the no from the earlier part of the story starts to get kind of fuzzy, a little bit turned around. The woman repeats the yes and no that the man and the woman, humankind, have been given by God. Yes, you can eat from the trees in the garden, but no, not from the tree in the center of the garden. Because, she explains to the serpent, if they eat of it, if they are disobedient, they will die. The serpent says, hold on, that's backwards. You have the yes and the no turned around. Because instead of what God told you, let me tell you this. Yes, you can eat of it, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And no, you won't die. And then he throws out the biggest yes of all. If you eat of it, if you say yes to disobedience... Or as the serpent would frame it, if you say yes to independence, if you say yes to initiative, if you say yes to making your own choice about this, you are saying yes to knowing what God knows. You are saying yes to becoming like God. And it is quite tempting turning the no into a yes turning the limitations into the unlimited, turning don't into do, turning obedience into quote-unquote initiative, turning the I don't know into I know better. Making the no into a yes is a temptation beyond what they can resist. So the man and the woman eat the fruit, the forbidden fruit, Where God had told them no, they tell themselves yes. And it is fair to say that in choosing their own yes, their own I know better, they do gain something. They gain insight. They gain awareness. They even gain some wisdom. But it's not quite the kind of wisdom they expected. That is, instead of becoming like God in glorious ways, in all-powerful ways, in all-knowing ways, 
which is what the serpent was selling. Immediately they gain in declining God's no and choosing their own yes an awareness of their own nakedness. And that awareness of their own nakedness is a symbol of something, right? Maybe it's a symbol of shame, or maybe it's a symbol of their own vulnerability, or maybe it's a symbol of innocence lost. Really could be any or all of those things. But what is certain is that in choosing their own yes, they gain an awareness of their own nakedness, and then they try to cover it up, quite literally, with fig leaves. So they gain something they didn't have before. They gain awareness, a different kind of knowledge than they had before, and sensitivity to their own vulnerability. Those are their gains in rejecting God's no and choosing their own yes. But at the very same time, what they immediately lose is so much more. In an instant, they lose their relationship with God as it used to be. They lose their former way of being. They lose trust, their trust of God and God's trust of them. And ultimately, they lose their place in the garden. They wanted to know more, and now they know too much. And that's a strange thing to think about, because it seems like we humans always want to know more. We have this self-promoting, self-aggrandizing attitude. Can we ever know too much? How is that possible? Shouldn't we always be seeking more? We, humankind, have come to think that way, to think that it is our knowledge, our ability to bend the world to our will that will save us. So it's better to get more and more. And as a result, we quickly and often foolishly give up relationship in order to gain some sort of power. We sacrifice trust for more knowledge. We give up closeness in trade for independence. We play down the necessity of community and instead play up the benefits of self-reliance. And because of that, all too often, the human motto isn't, I trust you, but rather, I know better. At the top of the bulletin, I included my brief worship theme reflection on this text from when I was first looking at the scripture and themes for Lent some time ago. I wrote this, I know better, quote unquote. It might mean that we know better than to do what we have been told not to do. It might mean that we want to know better, to know more. It might be a statement of rebellion. It might be a statement of curious intellect. But do we know better? Where is the trust and humility that can keep us out of trouble? Or are we destined to eat the fruit we were told not to eat? And while all of those possible angles on the meaning of the words I know better continue to intrigue me, knowing better meaning to know more, or maybe as a statement of rebellion or an expression of curious intellect, more than parsing the meaning of that phrase, it is two other words in the paragraph 
trust and humility that most work at me, that continue to work at my mind and my heart. Trust and humility. Where's the trust and humility that can keep us out of trouble? When we proclaim with word and deed, I know better, it sure is hard to find space for trust and humility. Now, we can point at the crafty serpent, crediting the serpent for tricking or at least tempting the man and the woman, but maybe the man and the woman get tricked because at some level it is exactly what they want. The serpent offers them what they already want. Temptation meets desire. Seems pretty clear that they want to know more. They want to prove that they know more. They want, with eyes opened, to be like God. Maybe they want to be God. If so, at that point, trust and humility have gone out the window. I know better. I think about times when I thought, against the advice of people with both more experience and more wisdom than I had at the time, that I knew better. And in most cases, the push I made against their advice or their instruction wasn't really about clear-eyed evaluation of the advice. It was more about lacking trust in the advisor. When I don't trust the person giving instruction or advice, it's a whole lot easier to ignore them. Or when I look down at the person giving instruction or advice, it is a whole lot easier to ignore them. What can you possibly know that I don't know, I think to myself. What makes you the expert? I know better. Arrogance and mistrust are too often my downfall. Maybe it is true for you as well. Maybe. You give me a maybe, not an amen. (laughs) So I sympathize with the man and the woman in the garden. They are characters in a story, but they are not just characters in a story. They are at once my forebears, my ancestors, and they are me. Because like them, I want to know more. I want to control more. I want to have everything I need right in reach of my hands in order to more directly shape and hold my future. I want to control my own destiny, steer my own course. I want to be able to turn someone else's no into my yes. Why is that? For them, for me, for us. Why does our own arrogance and mistrust exert such influence over us? Isn't everything, every good thing that is available in the garden enough? Aren't the trees with the yes of caring relationship attached to them enough? Aren't the trees full with the fruit of nourishment enough? Isn't God's direction, God's wisdom enough? Isn't knowing that God wants our well-being, God wants what is best for us, enough? 
I'd like to think that all of that is enough for us, but maybe it isn't. Maybe it's not enough if instead of seeing what is around us, seeing the garden, the soil, the seeds, the fruit, the sky, the rain, the sun, we are fully immersed not in what is actually around us, but fully immersed in our own illusions. And the idea that we control our own destiny is an illusion. The idea that we are independent is an illusion. The idea that we nourish ourselves is an illusion. The idea that we are all-seeing, all-knowing is an illusion. The idea if only we knew more, we could do more, is an illusion. The truth, the reality, is that we are human. We are all human. We are only human. And that means that we are vulnerable. We are naked. We are mortal, limited, made of dust and returning to dust. We are only able to know what we know right now and not a single bit more until the next thing comes into view. We are all human. We are only human. We are not God, and that's not going to change. Trading a no for a yes does not make that change. Sometimes Lent is understood, interpreted as a time to say no, a time to give up something to which you would usually say yes. So maybe you give up sweets or coffee or binging your favorite streaming show or bad habits of some kind. Maybe you give up standing in judgment of others or you give up hurrying past the little things in life. Whatever it is, you pledge to say no instead of yes to something that is not particularly life-giving. And in saying no, you turn a little bit closer to better health or more balance. But if that's the case, if you're going to say no to something in this season, then I'd ask you to take the next step as well. Say no to something that has been destructive, to something that is not life-giving, but then pivot as well to something that opens you up, opens you up to a helpful yes, the right kind of yes. Yes to trust. Yes to humility. Yes to relationship. the snippet of the story in the Garden of Eden is a story of yes and no switched around, right? It's a story of getting the two reversed. But what if we think about the season of Lent as a time to take the things that have gotten reversed and get them reoriented? Taking the steps to get the yes and no back into their correct columns. Move from I know better, to something like, I will listen better. 
or I seek better perspective, or I trust more. One common emphasis of the story from the Garden of Eden, as we've heard it on down through the years, is the emphasis on blame. Who is responsible for the choices that are made? Who is to blame? Is it the serpent? The woman? The woman and the man? Is it maybe even God that is to blame for setting them up with the test of the tempting tree in the middle of the garden? In this test of yes and no, who is to blame? That's one question we could choose to frame the story. Who is to blame? A more interesting question from my perspective, maybe a more important question, is this. Where to now? Where do we go from here? Where to now? The man and the woman are headed out of the garden, naked, vulnerable, made to work the land for a living, uncertain of how or whether trust with God can ever be restored. They are on their way out of the garden. And so we inherit that status. Eden is no longer ours either. But where to now? The soil, the sun, the seeds, the trees, the grasses, the clouds, the sky, the wind, the water, the things that sustain us, nourish us, are still there for us. And relationship. Not independence or self-reliance, but relationship. And humility and trust still within reach, and putting the yes and no back into balance, back into the correct columns, still possible. In this season that is ahead, let us seek this shift away from I know better and closer to I trust more. May it be so.